Welcome to The Analysis. I'm Greg Wilpert. It's been a little over 100 days now since the new president of Bolivia, Luis Arce, has assumed office. Arce took over following a harrowing year during which the far-right president, Janine Añez, had managed to oust longtime leftist president Evo Morales from office. In November 2019, with the help of Bolivia's military, its police, and the Organization of American States, Luis Arce, who was finance minister under Evo Morales, managed to win last October's presidential election with 55% of the vote. Since then, he has had to deal with a complicated situation, fending off Bolivia's far right, as well as coping with the COVID pandemic and a severe economic crisis. Just how well has Arce managed to do this, and what has brought Bolivia to where it is now? Joining me to discuss these issues is Nicole Fabricant. Nicole is Associate Professor of Anthropology at the University of Maryland in Towson, and a frequent contributor on Bolivia to NACLA, Jacobin, and other publications. Also, she's the author of the book, Mobilizing Bolivia's Displaced, Indigenous Politics, and the Struggle Over Land. Thanks for being here today, Nicole. Thanks, Gregory. It's great to be in conversation with you. So let's start with what's perhaps the more urgent concern in Bolivia at the moment, the pandemic. Um, Bolivia was hit fairly hard, just as most of Latin America. Give us a brief idea as to what Arce has had to deal with when he took office and what he's done since then with regard to managing the pandemic. Sure. Um, so the pandemic, as you said, had um, hit Bolivia pretty hard um, in the months of March, uh, April, May, June, straight through the summer. And Janine Añez's government really, in so many ways, failed to deal with this public health crisis, but also the twinning economic crisis. So we had these interlocking crises um, mounting at the same time. Um, so Arce came in with, and really his election and uh, incredible landslide was a real shock to a lot of us from the global north, you know, expecting that it would be a much closer, uh, given the polarization of the country, um, outcome. So I think there was a lot of just shock and excitement and celebration that there was this new iteration of Moss, and he came in. Um, right away trying to uh, figure out what the best solutions to um, the COVID-19 crisis would be, while at the same time not locking down economic um, sort of means of, you know, everyday production and life, because that had come to a stall, right, during the crisis. So right away, um, <clears throat> they were sort of solidifying the first major COVID-19 vaccine deal. I think 20% of the population was like the goal initially for say. And so there were a lot of the this first kind of Sputnik uh, five doses that arrived in late January. And we're still seeing spikes though, um, all over Santa Cruz right now, which is the agro-industrial capital in a region where I've worked pretty closely. And so that seems to be the hotbed and the epicenter right now of the COVID-19 crisis. And uh, recently, uh, healthcare workers actually started a strike. What was, what's that all about? Yeah, so I'm trying to get a better sense too. not being on the ground in Bolivia. I'm just reading from afar. However, there has been a lot of um, resistance, you know, to 
sort of um, the healthcare system in terms of like under Morales, fears of a more socialized um, system, fears of Cuban doctors and like taking jobs away from Bolivian doctors. And a lot of that was going on when I was physically in Bolivia around 2008 to 2010 or so. And a lot of that was just um, middle class white doctors that never went to indigenous communities, did not treat the working classes or the poor, kind of resisting this broader uh, trope of a communist invasion, right? I don't think the more recent healthcare strikes were like linked in any way, although I'm trying to understand this resurgence of a second round of moss and whether or not there's fears, right, around um, what kind of universal or socialized medicine could look like um, in terms of obviously they have an incredibly privatized healthcare system similar to the United States. But to me, it seemed like a lot of it was opposition or uh, just concern around um, COVID-19, right? And people feeling like especially essential workers under an enormous amount of pressure, feeling like there were these impositions around strict lockdowns and it was preventing, you know, care around the clock. Um, so I, I don't know exactly, you know, who was behind some of the healthcare care um, demonstrations, but it seems like the majority of it was happening in Santa Cruz and it was geared towards the regional government. Um, and healthcare workers just seem like they're, kind of fed up. And a lot of it has to do just with, you know, um, same kinds of issues, I think that nurses and some of the frontline healthcare workers are dealing with, right? Lack of resources, underpaid around the clock, trying to get people, you know, um, protected. So I, I don't necessarily see the link between the broader kind of rightist movement and some of the healthcare um, worker strikes. I just think under the pandemic, there's an enormous amount of stress and pressure for healthcare workers right now. Hmm. Now, um, just as everywhere else, Bolivia, of course, has had its economy suffer quite a bit because of the pandemic. Now, how has this affected the economy uh, and to what extent and uh, how has ARSA tried to address the economic crisis? Yeah, those are great questions. I mean, I think the big issue um, with uh, ARSA taking office was one, really rethinking what the MOS program would look like, right? So there were severe uh, limitations um, under Morales of what Moss represented. And I think there's been extensive commentary on that. I mean, he depended upon the extractive industry, essentially, right, in order to uh, redistribute some portion of gas money, of um, other, you know, big kind of non-renewable fossil fuel industries. And then that became kind of the means to do some of the redistributive work and the social programming. Um, but there has been grave criticism around the extent to which that extractive model wreaks havoc, right, upon the environment, particularly gas. Um, in the Chaco region and some of the lowland areas, the extent to which indigenous communal rights are no longer um, kind of enshrined, right, by the constitution, because he passed the new constitution, and there were all kinds of ways in which indigenous people for the first time really felt like 
they were a part of this state. However, lots of fractures, right, occurred along the way. So despite the growth under Morales with a commodity boom and like really feeling as though um, he was able to renegotiate gas deals, it was far from a total nationalization. I just want to be clear. Like, I think the administration came forward with really radical plans around land redistribution, which never occurred, you know, scaled back very quickly. I was actually in the region uh, during that period where the right wing landowners were resisting. And very quickly, it became only state owned lands that were redistributed and um, never managed to fully nationalize. So just a portion, right, of the revenue was then redistributed. So Arce is coming in during the COVID-19 crisis, but also during a moment where they're experiencing economic crisis and possibly not the same moment a commodity boom. So what will this mean for Bolivia is the big question, right? Now he is an economist, so you know he comes in and he did say from the start, there's no way we're going to be able to do this without austerity politics. So we have already heard him talking about, and it's interesting um, because while he has um, reneged on like the IMF loan, and we can talk about that, he also is saying like the only way to do this is going to be through um, austerity and probably continuing with the same extractive model. Like there's all sorts of now ideas about lithium, which is pretty um, common. I would say, you know, discursive point for folks in the north and in the south, like what will these new lithium horizons look like? Morales started to industrialize um, lithium extraction, and this obviously is going to reap all sorts of profits, right? Possibly for Bolivia, but also there's concerns around the social, the environmental, and even the small scale, like, destruction of community for folks who live around some of those areas that will turn into mining zones, right? Um, So I think it's up in the air still um, what, you know, exactly his economic policy, but already there's certainly probably going to be all kinds of deals as well with the agro-industrial elites, uh, which is another big and booming business in Santa Cruz linked to Brazil. So continuation of probably large-scale soy um, production, um, monocultures, which also has, you know, comes with deforestation and exacerbates some of the everyday environmental and climactic concerns. So he's in a very difficult predicament. Right. And you mentioned the IMF loan. I, you know, as they returned it uh, to the IMF, the $340 million uh, recently, uh, that actually was uh, received by or requested by Janine Añez, the previous president. So why is uh, Arce returning that already? Yeah, I think it's really interesting um, and being celebrated, obviously, right, by the left internationally. So I think um, Añez came in as the interim um, president in the wake of this coup, right, a, a U.S.-backed coup. And right away, as an interim president, everyone was in shock that she was moving to privatize industries, taking out loans, assuming a space of power that had not rightly been given to her. Um, so I think there was a lot of shock and ripple just around the kinds of economic decisions and choices she was making. I think Odyssey did it in part as 
as symbolic, right? But I think in part, it's also a political economic strategy to kind of say, look, we know that IMF loans come with strings attached to it, right? We know that the $340 million loan is essentially going to tie us into debt and dependency with the United States and a broader like imperial force. And I think he just wanted to do it to basically be able to say, um, Bolivia under Moss will remain sovereign, right? Or to whatever extent, I mean, I'm very critical of the public discourses, but this is an action, right? Returning that money is much more than a discourse. I think we saw a lot of this under Morales, this kind of disjunct between a public face, a, a discourse of equality, redistribution, dignified, so sovereign, free, and then the praxis of extractive industries or the praxis of pitting indigenous communities against one another. So I don't, I think this truly is a kind of new beginning for, for Moss. And it's an opportunity for Arce to really do things differently, right? To um, not just say Bolivia will be sovereign and we are a majority indigenous nation, but to actually begin to follow through, right, on certain kinds of promises. So I see it as both symbolic, like we will break from Agnes and the coup, but we also um, are beginning to pave out a new a path forward for Bolivia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now, uh, after this uh, one-year coup government, which basically ran from November 2019 to November 2020, uh, the far right managed to not only overthrow Evo Morales, but as you mentioned, to uh, to actually implement all kinds of uh, elements of its program, uh, even though Añez was supposed to be an interim president. Now, um, Arce has, as a result, I would say, it seems, has had to deal with basically an emboldened right, uh, yeah. which continues to claim that there was fraud in the November 2020 election. Now, how has Arce actually managed to deal with or manage this far right, and how dangerous is it, or does it mm -hmm. remain for his ability to govern? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, it was interesting uh, being in the United States and watching Bolivia, our elections in Bolivia and this back and forth, right, between an incredibly emboldened right in the United States and the same kinds of tactics and attempts to say that there was fraud in our own elections um, and, and fears, right? fully so, right, um, of left thinkers, uh, intellectuals and organizers around like, could we see some kind of coup in the United States? So I do think that um, this is a right in Bolivia that is to be feared for many reasons, right? Um, I mean, I did a lot of work when I was there studying the right and trying to trace because I think it's very important for left thinkers to understand like how the right organizes strategically and what are the transnational connections, right? So they have arms and legs and tentacles that extend way beyond Bolivia to Brazil. And some of, you know, what I found when I was like digging around was even money flowing from like Heritage Fund and some of the big U.S. Uh, right think tanks, right? So there's certainly a U.S., obviously, uh, Brazil, kind of southern cone, Argentina, and Bolivia, a uh, right. And there are intellectual spaces for the right. Like, I tried to um, penetrate some of those spaces to understand, like, what their 
ideological base was and where it stemmed from. And actually in Bolivia, it absolutely comes from Nazi Germany. It was a lot of um, families that uh, came to Santa Cruz during that particular period in time. And it's been around for a very long time. So, I mean, I think it's been fomenting, right? Over the years, we are seeing certainly new ebbs and flows of the right. But I must say that since the 50s, really, and um, 60s, the Unión Juvenil Cruceñista, which is the paramilitary arm of the Civic Committee, and they're armed and they are ideologically reading some of the same kinds of things that young um, uh, Nazis read, essentially. Um, and that's scary. Like, that is very scary. Um, and they're connected to the Civic Committee, which is the governing kind of body in Santa Cruz. And so you have all these agribusiness elites and gas interests that are the public face of the right, which is the economic side. And then you have the brute arm of violence, which is the paramilitary side. Um, so I don't want to undermine what is possible, right? And and I've seen it. I've seen the violence. I've seen um, the demarcation of territory. It's incredibly anti-indigenous. The ideology is about like white supremacy, essentially, like a form of whiteness that is tied directly to European blood, right? So the ways in which they um, defend territory is through beating up indigenous people, threatening indigenous people, displacing indigenous people in Santa Cruz. Some of my indigenous um, landless organizer friends would not even traverse the center of the city for fears of these young kids beating them. So um, Santa Cruz racially, right, socioeconomically is incredibly divided. And I think Arce is well aware of what he was coming into. Um, I think Morales was too, to a certain extent. I think some of Morales's uh, sort of shortfalls were that he began to create political allegiances with some of these agribusiness elites who are the public face, right, the economic side, and that weakened his ability to essentially hold strong on some of the more radical reforms. Um, Arce is coming in knowing he came in out of a violent coup, right, knowing that the, the right has grown beyond Santa Cruz. So we have these right-wing groups now in Cochabamba that are, you know, pretty actively involved in these motorcycle gang type things. We have a right, obviously, in La Paz. And it's a complicated right because it's not just the face of the camba. It's also sometimes middle-class paseños, right? And so that's the climate, I think, in which Arce came to power. And he very much... Um, realizes that this could undermine potentially it's an unstable right grounds in which he stands upon so i don't think he's willing to compromise right away right i haven't seen the same sort of negotiations and people entering into his administration yet that were you know still <laughs> there's lots of time for that to happen and to occur but i think santa cruz again is this world unto itself and maybe cochabamba where there's opposition movements growing uh people are continuing to claim fraud a lot of it is performative right uh, just politics, these explosive kind of demonstrations. But that does, too, undermine it's a polarized country, right? So to what extent does he hold the same 
economic and political power that the regional elites do. It's the same scenario Morales came into in 2007 and eight, right? Which is that it's incredibly hard, I think, to be in a position where you're ruling for some and others are saying you're not our leader. Like we will align with the regionalists. But I think it's also the point that you're making uh, about the connections to even to Nazi Germany and is very important because people forget, I think, just how extreme uh, some elements of that right uh, are. Just I mean, downright, well, basically neo-Nazi fascistic uh, elements. Uh, I think that's important to keep in mind. But I want to turn actually or did you want to add something to that? Just, I was just going to say that they actually I have photographed swastikas of this. Mm. Right. So, yes, the symbolism, the ideology, the iconography and the ways in which they're training folks is deeply seated in a neo-fascistic, you know, vision. Right. Um, and we must hold that present because I think it's very easy to think, oh, it's about regionalism. It's about economics. It's about owning natural resources. The right has been very savvy in Bolivia in convincing people that it's about uh, a sense of, you know, national regional slash national identity as separate from La Paz. But they've maneuvered these discourses and very close to the surface of that is fascism. Hmm. Now, right? the, the other factor that Asa will have to deal with, of course, is the social movements, the, the more progressive elements of Bolivian society. For a long time, well, actually, in the beginning of the Morales government, as you pointed out in some of your articles, the, uh, they've um, they were tied very closely to, to, to Morales, but then there was uh, some fragmentation crept in. So now, uh, how do you see this relationship between Arce and the social movements and how it might evolve uh, going forward? I mean, what are the early indications so far? Yeah, I mean, I really hope and I think many of us um, uh, on the left in the northern spaces of our hemisphere are really hoping that he is able to do things differently. So some of the fractions, uh, and this won't cover all of them because it's very complicated. It would probably be a whole course, you know, on the Moss uh, first round. But essentially, um, what folks have written about is the ways in which Moss has co-opted, right, uh, social movements. So lots of movements right away were um, given a seat of power inside the state and that demobilized, right? Many radical movements. The movement I worked with, the landless peasant movement right away was put in the seat of power, but yet seizing lands became illegal under Morales. So there were these really interesting ways in which he gave people power, but also um, uh, de-emphasized the kind of more radical wing of those movements. So that occurred. And then there are lots of ways in which um, movements were kind of pitted against one another. Uh, so uh, one big break with some of the lowland movements was the Tipney struggle. And I've written about this, but this was a massive highway, right, that Morales was supporting where lowland indigenous uh, movements were really opposed. Um, and it written into the, con the Constitution was that no new development project could occur without consultation by and for indigenous people that might be affected or impacted. 
And so he breached and broke that because he did not consult before signing on to this large scale massive highway that was going to be built. And it created an enormous amount of friction, feeling like Moss was not governing for lowland indigenous peoples. Um, there were marches from the lowlands to the highlands. Morales actually used the arm of the state and violence to quell some of the resistance, which personally, I think is incredibly problematic for someone who is defined as like a social movement state. If you are a, a state of social movements, you don't use violence to quell uh, people who are protesting peacefully, right? Especially when they feel the impact will be directly affecting their children, their grandchildren who live on these um, lands. So I think that broke up a lot of the packs, right, that had existed between the highlands and the lowlands in terms of um, indigenous rights and sovereignty around land. Um, and many felt from that moment forward, like, and this is where the right also co-opted many of the indigenous uh, lowlanders into their, you know, we will do it better. We won't, you know, it's just this like political pawn, like playing each other off of, of one another. So you have that. And then you also have the failure essentially of Morales to really, um, create a cadre within the, the Moss regime. So there was no leadership development. There was no participatory democracy, really. Like if you are a social movement state, then decisions are made collectively. You figure out how to do this in a participatory fashion, but there was a lot of protagonism and egocentrism. And so all of that was a huge downfall from social movements, right? Looking at what the Morales administration had become and feeling as though this was not what they they voted in, right? This was not the vision that they necessarily had. So I think Arce is coming into it knowing that all these fractures exist, knowing full well that um, many movements were co-opted, were placed right in the seat of power, but not given necessarily the structural supports necessary to make the kinds of changes. And so far, I think that's going to be his greatest challenge is like how to bring some of these movements together, um, how to create a much more like holistic vision, right, across race and ethnic divides and territorial divides. Um, what is the kind of political future, right, that Arce sees for Mas in this second round? And how will he actually work alongside with right? Uh, even make decisions that might be informed by the grassroots. Like that's the real challenge for this new generation of left leaders. And I'm hoping they do it differently. I'm hoping they can shed the egotistical like protagonism and the machista, caliista politics and really see that there could be a vision uh, based upon what some of the grassroots and social movements are demanding that they could embolden, right, and push forward. Um, so it's yet to be seen, but I, I think some good signs are that he is meeting with social movements. He's incredibly, at least he seems like he is not allowing right now Morales to be part of his administration, which I think personally is a pretty good sign, like we're gonna split from that generation and try to do it differently. Um, so from what I've seen, he's really struggling right now to figure out what some of these rifts are and how he begins to to mend these deep wounds, right? Hmm. 
Well, actually, uh, just one last point. I mean, what you, the, the last point that you made begs the question, well, what will be Morales' role in, in the future of uh, Bolivia if he's not going to be participating in the government, which is kind of what, uh, of course, what the, his, his opponents and Arce's opponents were always claiming that he was, you know, uh, he was going to be like the lead figure or something like that, but that's clearly not the case. Um, so what, what role do you think he will be playing? I mean, it's really interesting. I thought I've thought a lot about this question recently because we have seen Morales back, right? So he um, fled during the coup and he was living um, for a long period of time in Argentina and um, protected. And then once I to say one, there was a lot coming from Morales, right? Internationally, like tweets social media, just congratulating Arce, really excited about this next iteration of MAS, um, returns to Bolivia, I guess like maybe a month after, really, right, the inauguration. And then um, he has been very much sort of celebrated by uh, particular movements and folks who have continued to support him. So you see him very publicly, right? Um, as a figure that is now even almost a martyr revealed by certain communities. I don't want to say that, you know, Bolivia is incredibly polarized. Um, certain folks feel uh, very differently about Morales's presence right now. And then he did get COVID, right? So he was in all these negotiations and, you know, um, sort of political spaces with social movements. And then he contracted COVID because, it was pretty obvious he was not wearing a mask in any of the photos I ever saw of Morales. And um, he battled that for like two weeks. And now I think he's on the mend. Arce has said he will not have a formal place in his administration. However, I find it hard to believe that he's not an advisor. And I think that's what's going on, right? Is perhaps there are these back, you know, they're very strategic around not having Morales in the seat of power and not a public face of Moss through this next iteration. But I do think he still has these deep connections, right, to the political party and to social movements. And so obviously, I'm sure there's backstage kind of negotiations going on. The question is, like, what's Morales going to do, right? Like, what's the next phase of Morales's life? I don't know. Like, does he go back to the Chapare? I'm not sure, right? Does he begin to think of a new political career for himself? It's hard to say at this point. Um, but I guess, like, you know, time will tell how much he will be embedded in this new generation of Moss. Um, as far as I could see, Arce really wants a clean break um, as a public facing, you know. Mm -hmm. He's going to make the decisions. He's going to put this new administration together. And I think probably in order to mend some of these wounds, that's a good, good sign. So we'll see where, where Morales goes. I know he also has plans for like all sorts of economic deals. So he might just be industrializing, you know, coca production, I don't know. He might be back in the Chaparrari with some business deals um, that he started while he was in the seat of power. So we'll see what, what happens to Morales. But it is an interesting time in Bolivia right now and i feel like the left can learn so many lessons like if we're open 
if we're willing to learn, and, and this is the hard thing, in all honesty, is that oftentimes there's a very dichotomous view of Bolivia, right? It's like um, either you supported Morales or you didn't, and people don't want to get into the nuance, uh, particularly people who haven't lived for long periods of time in Bolivia. If you have, you understand the nuance and the complexity, and you're willing to lean into those tensions, And but I think it's a failure of the left to not lean into those tensions. Unless we truly look at these past 14 years as an experiment, right? Like Morales did do incredible things for the country. There were tremendous economic benefits, growth, indigenous rights, women's rights. However, there were detriments. And we need to look closely and seriously at some of that. And where have we failed? Acknowledge it, right? Like where have we not mapped out a much more radical agenda? Um, how do we learn from that, do it differently, and create a much more participatory left, right? A state that actually is in constant conversation with movements, not one that kind of co-ops and utilizes movements, right? How can we begin to create a cadre and leadership that would live on from generation to generation? Unless we really struggle with that, I just feel like we're going to continue to make these same kinds of mistakes. And I would hate to see that happen again in Bolivia because, right, my Jacobin article was about Bolivia being the hope, like this radical hope. Even despite all odds, we see mass like surging again. And that says something, right, about this historic political economic conjuncture and what Bolivians, I think, hold on to as a grave hope for some kinds of um, real substantive and radical changes. Okay, well, I think this is an excellent uh, point uh, to conclude and, on. Yeah. Um, and maybe we'll come, uh, I, I hope we'll come back again sometime soon to continue the conversation and the analysis, actually, of what the left can learn from uh, what happened in Bolivia. But um, anyway, thanks so much, Nicole, for having joined me today. Thank you, Gregory. It was great talking to you. And um, I really look forward to hearing from some of the viewers and thinking about possibilities, right, for collaborations in the future. So best of luck. Thanks, Gregory. Thanks. So I was speaking to Nicole Fabricant, Associate Professor of Anthropology at the University of Maryland in Towson. And thank you to our listeners and viewers for tuning in to the analysis. Please don't forget to support our work by heading to the analysis.news website to make a donation. Mm -hmm.